This is a Lip Media Podcast. Feminism, 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 feminism ruins everything. It's a feminist podcast. Hello and welcome to Feminism Ruins Everything. We are the feminist podcast where we give critiques to movies, musicals and pop culture phenomena and potentially ruin them. Potentially. We'd like to acknowledge that today we are meeting and recording on stolen Ghana land and we'd like to pay our respects to Ghana elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty of this land was never ceded. It always was and always will be Aboriginal land. Today I'm really excited because we are discussing the seminal teen comedy classic Ten Ten Things things I Hate hate About about You. You. We got baby Heath Ledger. We got baby Joseph Gordon-Lovett. We got baby Julia Stiles. We got baby that guy from Numbers. Everybody's so little and adorable. And this movie is great. It's so good. It's, like, it's fucking phenomenal. Interestingly... I had, I reckon I'd seen this movie like once before and mm. then we watched it again yesterday and I didn't have much recollection of what I thought about the film the one time that I'd seen it previously. Like I was five when it came out. I wasn't quite mm. the prime demographic for like teenage rom-coms in, <laughs> in 99. I was a bit busy like starting school. Um, <laughs> but... I was busy emigrating to Australia. Oh, that's yeah. beautiful. So I was distracted in other ways. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah. Fair, you were also like seven. That, that too. Yeah. So again... Not the demographic. Not the demographic. Yeah. Um, but we rewatched it yesterday, and holy shit, this movie is good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> and interestingly, Ellis and I just had a revelation, and we were like, it all makes sense. So, Ten Things I Hate About You was written by Kristen Smith, uh, Kirsten Smith and Karen McCullough, who wrote... Legally Blonde. Blonde. Those of you familiar with our past episodes will be aware that we both are obsessed with Legally Blonde, but like Ellis more so. (laughs) It makes so much sense why I like this movie, because it's just... Those writers are great. Mm. Before we get into the feminist elements of it, I want to give like a quick rundown of all the stuff that's good that isn't feminist. (laughs) Um, One, let's, let's alternate. Okay, great. So... I love the 90s aesthetic. Like, I recognize that it was just what was cool in the 90s, but Mm -hmm. retrospectively, it's like, this is the most 90s thing I've ever seen in my life. Like, the fashion, the even just the opening credits and, like, the text of the opening credits. Like, uh, going off of that... The eyebrows. The music in this film. Lack thereof. Lack thereof eyebrows. The music in this film is awesome. We open with One Week by the Bare Laked Nadies. Bare Laked Ladies. I have no idea. One week by the Bare Naked Ladies, uh, BNL, and th- and that kind of sets the tone for the music for the rest of the film, and mm. it's all great. Mm. Oh, it, oh, it slaps. It's so good. Did I use that right? I I wouldn't know. Young people, <laughs> Gen Z, can you tell me if I said it slaps correctly? I, I can barely get around. It's a bop. So. Oh no, I fully embrace that. Yeah, one. you've embraced the yeah. Bop. Uh, other non-feminist things that I love. Just all of the physical comedy. Oh, Just there are so many people. There are so many things where people like fall off something or somebody gets hurt or trips over and rides a motorbike over <laughs> a hill. Gets shot by an arrow in the <laughs> butt. Like 
not stuff that normally appeals to my sense of humor, but for mm-hmm. some reason it's just done so well that I find it hilarious. Uh, my heart cannot help but be warmed by Heath Ledger singing Can't Take My Eyes oh. Off of You with the, with the marching band. And, like, and getting chased <laughs> by security. Yeah. And Another excellent physical Brilliant gag. physical comedy. Uh, I mean, all the acting in this film mm. is is so good, and is like all these really talented people, kind of at the beginning of their careers. Yeah, and and they, they've all kind of gone on to do a lot of things. Um, Baby Joseph Gordon Lovett oh, has my heart. He's so cute. He's yeah. so cute. You know what? I could even say that I Joseph Gordon love it. And that's all we have time for here on Feminism Rings Everything. <laughs> Thank you so much. That's Thank been you. the episode. Uh, <laughs> I can't take credit for that. My my friend Sam says that all the time. He's oh, like, yeah. I love it. I Joseph Gordon love it. <laughs> Hi, Sam, if you're listening. But on top of all of this, uh, what the film has at its core is a really solid script mm. and some really feminist values. Yeah. I mean, it helps with the arc of your script and the various hijinks mm-hmm. when it's based off a Shakespearean comedy. Yes. Uh, this is a modern adaptation of The Taming of the Shrew, which I don't know too much no, about, except I. that it was the basis for 10 Things I Hate About You. Yeah. It's like, I don't know very much about Twelfth Night other than it's the basis of She's the Man, <laughs> which is another really great film that I really like and think we should do an episode on as well, if only for an excuse for me to rewatch it. I've never seen it. So it's, it's so good. Let's give it a shot. It's Amanda Bynes pretending to be a boy. Oh, Amanda Bynes. Like Amanda Bynes' heyday. I miss her. I hope she's well. I'm sending her positive energy. I hope she's well as well. She had a bit of a revival with like hairspray and then kind of beat it off a bit. No, I think she had like a full mental breakdown. Oh goodness! Yeah. No, I think she. I think her mental health like absolutely spiraled. Oh, I'm really. That's why I was sending her like positive energy. That I hope she's like doing okay. I hope she's doing okay as well. Yeah. Love Um, you, Amanda Bynes. (laughs) If you're listening, she (laughs) never misses this. (laughs) She's our number one listener, (laughs) but not a patron. Hmm. Interesting. Thanks, Amanda. Amanda. Uh, <laughs> Hit us up on Patreon. We're, we're off. We're off. Cho- we're off topic. Mimanella's off topic. Shocker. Shocker. To dive into the feminist critique um, or feminist discussion of this film, one of the biggest takeaways for me is the representation of feminism itself. Mm. Um, and it almost feels to me like a little bit of a time capsule that this film is like. This is how broader society viewed feminism in the 90s and like look how far we've come mm-hmm. because i mean maybe maybe it's because i'm in the thick of it that i feel this but to me in 2020 feminism feels quite mainstream yeah and it feels quite normalized whereas i think that in 1999 when this film came out it was um definitely more of a, a fringe it was a countercultural kind mm. of thing. And I think, I think it's kind of exemplified with the character of Bianca, Cat's uh, sister, kind of being like, well, why can't you be normal? Mm. And just like wanting to kind of go with the flow, whereas Cat is like an outspoken, hardcore feminist yeah. uh, and is seen as very much othered. Yeah, so Cat is our leading lady, played by Julia, Julia Stiles. Stiles, plural. Yes. Yeah. Styles. I keep wanting to call her Julia Style. I don't know why. Because she has it. All right, we've each had one really bad joke. <laughs> uh, so we can move on now. <laughs> yeah, so I guess that the. It's interesting the pos- 
I kind of was on the fence for a little while about what position the film was taking because I was like, are you... Because everyone seems to be admonishing her for her feminist values or at least her outspoken nature and the fact that she doesn't want to fit into high school culture. Yeah. Um, and on one hand, that seems to be the view taken by everyone in the film except her, at least for the f- first like, 15, 20 minutes or so. Um, but at the same time, like she's... She's the heroine of the film. Like she's she's the leading lady. She's the protagonist. Mm-hmm. So, and I think potentially to use your and my favorite phrase, Ellis Dolan, it's almost like we are setting up expectations to subvert them. Yeah. In that, to start with, you're kind of meant to be like, oh, maybe everyone has a bit of a point. Like she's a bit wacko for being into this kind of radical movement of like Mm. women having rights um (laughs) but then the further into the film we go the more you get on board with her and the more you come Mm. to appreciate her and like see um why her worldview and how her worldview was shaped and then by the end you're like is is it lulling you into a false sense of security to by the end of it be like famous bitch yeah i'm a feminist like cat what a queen well i also think that it's like the perception of her changes not only for the audience but for other characters in the film like the more time that Patrick spends with her the more his perception of her changes the more that uh, Bianca kind of gets to know her sister the more that baby Mm. Joseph Gordon-Lovett gets to know her he just um you know like she like she starts kind of opening up a little bit and being less defensive yeah but everybody else around her is kind of like going actually no she's not as bad as as we thought or, or she wants us yeah. to think. And the character that kind of doesn't change that much is the, the villain of the piece, mm. Joey. Oh, I hate him. Model Joey. He is very handsome. <clears throat> he's very handsome. I mean, He's very pretty to look at. Uh, so Joey is played by uh, Andrew Keegan and, again, played very well. He, he yeah, really kind of sells this, this role. Like, I feel like he would have had the best time being like, yeah, here's my swimwear pose. <laughs> And uh, <clears throat> here's my underwear pose. See the difference? It's like difference. very subtle. I feel like that would have been such a fun scene to be able to Oh, play. yeah. He, <clears throat> I feel like everybody had a great time. Yeah. Looked like they were having a great time filming this. I suppose something that I um, that this film sparked in my mind and made me think about a bit was about um, women in general, but especially feminists, um, this idea that society wants you to be palatable mm. um, in order to be taken seriously and not written off, I suppose, to some degree. Um, and I think that to some extent, the really kind of um, stern exterior that Julia Stiles' character takes on is um, kind of fighting against that like the fact that it's like look i'm allowed to be my own person i'm allowed to like what i like i don't have to shrink myself to to fit in your mold of how you think i need to be in order to be accepted by you and to um, be perceived as palatable by you Mm. um but at the same time i do think we were talking a little bit before we started recording us about uh the fact that um, to some degree, that stern exterior is a bit of a defense mechanism for yeah. her as well. 
she she reveals that she kind of had like a negative experience in the past with Joey, um, and as a result of that, she decided that she wasn't going to conform mm. uh, and and do things just because everybody else was, and that manifested in this kind of defensive uh, showcasing of her individuality. Mm, yeah, and let's segue into the the relationship she has with Patrick. That's the name of Heath Ledger's character. I didn't know... I didn't hear anyone call him that until, like, <laughs> three quarters of the way through the film. I was like, sorry, his name's what? I, I didn't hear half of what he was saying because I was too transfixed by his smile. It's a beautiful smile. He's a beautiful man. He's a beautiful... Rest in peace, Heath Ledger. Rest in oh. peace. So, Patrick is his character's name. Mm. <laughs> Mim and Ellis know the name of a character? What?! <laughs> parallel universe is this um i think the interesting thing about seeing how she opens up as their relationship moves on kind of reveals something about her character Mm -hmm. in that she like her her defenses kind of come down a little bit and her um yeah, this this defensive shield that she kind of carries around in this stern persona um is kind of taken down and you see that, you know, she ha- does have the capacity to be warm. She does have the capacity to um, be affectionate. It's just that she only wants to do that on her terms. Mm-hmm. Um, and you still see that the the values that she so firmly believes in um, never change. Like, she... Yeah. Um, she never compromises she her values or herself her values. for any reason, especially not... For a man. Yeah, and so um, you see constantly like her being like, I don't want to go to prom with you. Like, what's in it for you? Like, she doesn't want to compromise on her idea that this is like a, an outdated, problematic high school tradition mm-hmm. just because she's fallen for this boy. Like, yeah, she's let her walls down and she has shown a more open side of her, but she's like, no, my values are still the same. However, it is, it is interesting that she does eventually go to the prom but only for her sister mm. when she's like i understand that this is very important to you and i want to mend this relationship that we have so i'm gonna do this for you and also heath ledger happens to be there and that's a, a nice bonus yeah yeah so i suppose the takeaway from the film that i get is the idea that you you don't need to to shrink yourself to conform. You don't need mm. to um, change how you interact with the world if what you're doing works for you. Like it makes me think about um, the the conversations about not telling women to smile yeah. and not um, telling people to to lighten up. Women especially, mm-hmm. um, because how you go about the world is should be on your terms and you don't have to be perceived as more palatable or more acceptable for other people. Mm. Um, I think that you explained it better, Ellis. We were talking about this before. How did you phrase it? <laughs> um, it's it's kind of like the issue isn't whether or not somebody has a smiley personality. Mm. The issue is when somebody says, hey, I want you to change the way that you are acting to benefit me. Like, you'd look hotter if you smiled more. Mm. The issue isn't specifically 
whether the person is smiling or not. It's that somebody else is like, I want you to change mm. what you are doing to be more pleasing to me mm. or to be more acceptable to me. Yeah. And I, I think uh, uh, many more intelligent people than I have have, have phrased this well. Uh, but using the Black Lives Matter protests as an example, when Colin Kaepernick uh, began kneeling for the national anthem, uh, critics of that action were just like, how dare you? That is no way to protest. That is that is uh, insulting. How dare you do this? You, how you dare are you wrong. disrespect the flag how and d- the military? And the and... national anthem and, and mm. whatnot. When all he was doing was kneeling on the ground peacefully to demonstrate a point. And then uh, earlier this year, especially when the, the Black Lives Matter protests um, kind of erupted, mm. uh, particularly in the United States, a lot of people just like, you can't protest. Protesting is wrong. Why can't you do something more peacefully? Mm. But they tried that. Yeah. And you disagreed with that. Yeah. Which kind of revealed that the people in power will never find your way of protest acceptable. Mm. And it's kind of inherent in the act of protesting that you're doing something that they have deemed is unacceptable because you are protesting something unacceptable. It's meant to be civil disruption. Exactly. To get the point across. Yeah. Um, And so, yeah, that is, I I mean, it's different in a lot of ways, but um, the idea that you have no control about how women lead their lives. Like, Yeah, you have no control or right to dictate how somebody carries themselves. Yeah, like, be that in protest, be that yeah. just in how a woman participates in her everyday life. Exactly. Yeah. Nobody has to smile because you're uncomfortable at seeing a strong woman who doesn't take any of your shit. Yeah. And we were talking about this before we started recording, that um, even though I recognize how important... Um, that discourse is around not telling women how to behave in society. Mm. Um, the whole idea of not telling women to smile has never been a part of feminist discourse that has particularly resonated with me. And I think that's just because I happen to enjoy smiling a lot. <laughs> um, I just am I'm not the sort of person who would present myself in everyday life as somebody who comes across as like stern or like with a mm-hmm. stick up my ass. Um, if that's how you present yourself in everyday life, famous bitch and go for it. Yeah. You're your own person. Um, but I think just as much as I don't really like to admit this, I think that the sort of person that I am is more palatable to broader society. And I, I kind of hate that a little bit, well, but <laughs> you know what? That, that, that's just, that's just who you are. Mm. And the issue isn't, that you are smiling. The issue would be that if you were having a bad day, which everybody does. Oh, I've had some bad days recently. And men came along and went, hey, smile more. Mm. That's the issue. Absolutely not. Like it doesn't, I, I mean, it doesn't matter what they're saying. It's the fact that they're just like. Trying to dictate. Trying to dictate my how, behavior. how you yeah. present. And, yeah. and I suppose I am uh, privileged to some degree in that the way that I feel comfortable going through the world and the way that I feel comfortable presenting myself is a more palatable version of what it is to be a woman. Yeah. Um, and like add into that, you know, white supremacy and heteronormativity mm-hmm. um, on top of that. 
but that everyone should be as free to walk through the world being true to themselves as I am currently. Mm. And I think part of the reason that the rest of the cast kind of paint Cat as this... Oh, 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 what's what's the phrase that the heinous bitch? Heinous bitch. Yes. Um, which I love that Cat wears that as a badge of honor. Yeah. Like the Alison. Oh, Alison Janey as the guidance counselor is no. I think phenomenal. she's the principal. No, no, no. She's she's like a guidance counselor or something. I thought, but then why why is everyone getting sent to her for misbehaving? Because they need guidance. I thought she was the principal. All right, I'm looking this up. Alison Janey. Padua High School's guidance counselor Aww. and a writer of erotic fiction. <laughs> I love that. I um, also like <laughs> how. I mean, I know it is funny because she like gets like stops um, disciplining children and like goes back to writing her erotic novel. Like it's funny just because of the juxtaposition of that. Mm. Um, but I also like how no one is like ill pornographic fiction <laughs> she she has such a healthy sexuality it's yeah. really just kind of normalized yeah like, and everyone okay. knows about it yeah <laughs> in fact students start pitching her bits yeah and she like um calls her um secretary or assistant to be like um what's another word for pulsating or yeah. something to that effect yeah and uh, um, normalizing women expressing their sexuality yeah. And also phenomenal. doing it in a comedic way because it's Alison Journey and she's fantastic. She's phenomenal. Uh, anyway, part of the reason that I think Kat presents herself in such a standoffish way is, again, she's kind of going against conformity and doing things just mm. for the sake of everybody else doing it. And when everybody is saying, oh, she's such a bitch and, oh, she's so mean and stuff, well, of course she's going to fight against that. And double down on her. <laughs> She's like, yes, it's working. Yeah, <laughs> phenomenal. This is exactly what I want. Mm. And I think it's nice that it's almost like, um, I think we have a long way to go in um, taking back the word bitch and mm-hmm. it not being used in a vitriolic way against women. Um, I mean, I refer to myself in third person as bitch all the time. <laughs> um like initially when I um, was very into my boyfriend before he was my boyfriend and everyone was very aware of it, especially him. Um, I refer to that period of uh, the pre-relationship. Um, I refer to myself in that time um, as bitch not subtle. Uh, oh, she was not subtle. Oh, bitch was not subtle. Uh, um, the stories that I've been told, and I'm just like, how did either of you question this for a second? Uh, anyway, um, but I like that this is a really seemingly early example of somebody like wearing the word bitch as a bit of a badge of honor. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, I, I very actively in my day-to-day life will... Uh, pull myself up if I go to purposefully call another woman a bitch in its like original meaning. I'm like, no, 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 no. I'll find another word <laughs> that is not gendered. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and more specific to the individual. Yes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, let's just take back the word bitch. Yeah, take them all back. I mean, I think that I think the queer community are doing that as well. Yeah. It's 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 evolving and, and being reclaimed, which is mm. phenomenal. I love the reclamation of words. Yeah. I want to talk about Mr. Morgan. 
who is that Ellis? Because uh, I don't think we ever hear his name. <laughs> we he... just we just saw that in the IMDb credits. <laughs> uh, he's the English teacher. Yes. Uh, and he uh, there's a scene in his classroom very early on that establishes uh, really establishes Cat's character. And also establishes the perception around her, where mm. it's uh, it's English class. There's Cat. There's Joey, who's a dick. Joey's and, a dick. And there's Mr. Morgan, who is uh, an African American man, and he's very exasperated <laughs> at having to teach all of these kids English. And Cat raises an issue. Uh, they're discussing Ernest Hemingway, and Cat raises the fact that he was a drunken uh, misogynist. misogynistic white man. Uh, and takes issue with the fact that why aren't we studying more female writers? Sylvia Plath. And uh, Charlotte Bronte. Yeah. And Joey kind of goes, oh, feminism, blah, blah, blah. Almost exact word-for-word dialogue. Yeah, um, you know it. And Mr. Morgan kind of like clamps down and is just like, Joey, shut up, you're an idiot. Um, <laughs> I think he even says, like, she could punch you in the face and I wouldn't do anything to stop it because you're so <laughs> annoying. But then he turns to Cat and he says, he... he I think has a point when he points out the fact that she's a very privileged uh, upper middle class white woman um, and there's no black writers on the curriculum and he has to get up, stand up here and talk about Ernest Hemingway and Shakespeare and he doesn't get to honour black artists and black lives and um, kind of like raises the idea of quote unquote white feminism yeah like he doesn't specifically say it like that but that's what he's critiquing in her yeah and i think uh, in i I can't imagine what the discourse was like in 1999 but i imagine that might have been a very nuanced take to say hey even though you are disenfranchised as as a woman in a patriarchal society uh maybe understand that you carry other privileges Mm. with you that people of color don't mm-hmm. uh, and I think that was a really fascinating scene to to set up to not only kind of say here is our character and all the things that she stands for we're going to immediately raise this other political issue and just be like just be aware that this is a thing yeah I think there's so much packed into this scene it's literally the first scene and when yeah. Alice and I watched it yesterday we paused it and we're like there's a lot to unpack there <laughs> We, like, had a five-minute discussion after it. Um, And while I think that those points are really important, Mm -hmm. um, and especially um, in modern day, there is no excuse to not um, be an intersectional activist. Yes. Um, And so I think raising those points um, in the 90s was absolutely valid and important. Um, But what I don't like about this scene is that it feels like... um, the person standing up for feminism and the person standing up for black lives are pitted against one another. It's it's kind of aggressive and yeah. they're butting heads. Yeah. And I also don't like the fact that um, he kind of shoots her down for having a lot of opinions because mm. like he's like, yes, yes, miss, I have an opinion on everything. What's up? Um, and so even though he's trying to to some degree, like, stick up for the marginalised group that he belongs to, mm-hmm. he's also shooting down another one, and yeah. vice versa. Like, I, the... think, I think he does say that he agrees with her, 
but also what about this issue? Yeah. And it kind of it does turn it into a little bit of like what about yeah. And I think you put it really well in saying that if this film came out in 2020, there's no way they'd be on opposite sides. I, I don't think so. I, I think that... Um, I, I think something... Intersectionality is really important for a number of reasons, like especially around making feminism um, accessible for people that are oppressed in other ways other than through their gender. But um, I think that another thing that intersectionality teaches us is that almost all marginalized groups are fighting against the same system. Yeah. And so in this instance, it's like Kat takes issue with Joey, this gross entitled misogynistic white man. This guy takes issue with Joey because he's for the same reasons, but also he's just hella annoying. (laughs) Um, But they're butting heads with one another when it's actually like, okay, why are they all misogynistic white men? Like, Mm-hmm. That's that's the issue that it's whiteness and masculinity that are um, platformed above everyone else. Like if we kind of bandied together, we could get more like black women writers in yeah. the curriculum. Um, so I think that intersectionality teaches us that there is a lot of overlap between patriarchy and white supremacy and ableism heteronormativity Mm -hmm. and homophobia. Um, So, yeah, I I think that I don't like the fact that the um, pro-black lives and the pro-feminism discussions in this conversation um, are made out to be against one another. Mm -hmm. I I don't like that these characters butt heads and that um, he kind of puts her down for being opinionated because even though, yes, he's trying to stand up for black lives, he's also being sexist in the process. Yeah, it's... Yeah, he's like, oh, no, an opinionated woman. Shut up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so while I do think that the scene makes some good points, I think that it's also problematic in other ways. And I wonder if that's just a product of its time. Like, yeah. is that just how discourse existed in in, in the, the late 90s? Is it a narrative device? Because, like, well, we need to establish that Cat is at odds with everyone. Mm. Um, Even, like, the activist teachers? Yeah. So, like, I, I, I wonder what the reasoning is for that. It's... I think, like, I think it's a, it's a problematic scene, but it's a very good scene. It's very funny. It's really funny. Mostly that every two seconds somebody tells Joey to shut up. Yeah, <laughs> like it's so satisfying. Yeah, it, it's my literally my favorite shot of the whole movie is the aerial shot coming up above the gym floor where you see Joey just writhing in pain because he's just been kicked in the balls. It's <laughs> outstanding. It's wonderful, uh, and we will get to that. I think I think we should bring up um, his assault, because oh, uh, it's so satisfying to relive. Uh, I, I do. I do also think that that is the only time that the film addresses racial issues. As yes. Well. Like it, it, it. I feel like it makes a very strong start. Yeah. And then doesn't really finish the race. Mm. Pardon the pun. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was bad. Uh, that was really bad. I yeah. might cut that. <laughs> I, part of me also like wonders whether the two white female writers were trying to be, like, a bit self-aware at that point. Yeah. Like, whether they were trying to acknowledge their own privilege in that scene. Yeah, to be maybe. like, yes, we are trying to 
fight for the representation of women, but also we evidently have a lot of we privilege as well. But like it, it, it never really does anything with that no. self-aware. It's like we're aware. We're not yeah. really doing anything about it. We're aware, and then the rest of the cast are going to be white, and then there's going to be one token black character elsewhere who doesn't really do anything. Yeah, Chastity uh, is a real black best friend trope. Yeah. Uh, Chastity, who... uh, Played by Gabrielle Union. Gabrielle Union. Who we all know and love, well, I mean, I do at least, from Bring It On, the first movie, as the head cheerleader of the Clovers. Yeah, I haven't seen Bring It On. I really need to. It's cold in here. There must be some Clovers. In the atmosphere. <laughs> Ellis, we need to have a future episode on Bring It On just so oh, I can educate you. We definitely do. It's a we very important do. movie. <laughs> but um, this was right before Bring It On, so this was like okay. almost potentially Gabrielle Union's also in- entrance into Entry the into industry. The but uh, it is it is a shame to see that the kind of... is a very clear-cut example of the black best friend mm. trope where like everyone around her is white and she kind of only exists to be a talking sounding board for the white yeah. character's ideas. And also, I think having... I mean, I'm not super educated on this, but um, one point that I have seen about that this trope, the black best friend trope, is that it's on surface level, it's like, oh, look, look, we've got... Um, we've got black actors in our movies, so mm-hmm. um, we're inclusive. Like, it's sort of for show, but then you dive in, you're like, what does this character do? She's a sounding board for... The what's the sister's name? Bianca. Bianca, uh, and then she double crosses her. <laughs> yeah, it, it's re- quite a shallow portrayal. We know very little about her as a person. And also, um, when Joey gets blown off by Bianca, she's like the second option. <laughs> and she's like, "Yeah, I'll go with you. Yeah, I'll do the thing. Mm. You can take me to prom." Yeah. Also, chastity. <laughs> Has got to be the worst name that you can give your child. It's like, hello, daughter who has just been born. Um, You know what? I think that I'd like to um, let you know from the get-go that I will be um, controlling your sex life um, through this name (laughs) that I'm giving you. You'll be chased. And if you don't like it, you can talk to your brother abstinence only. <laughs> no, 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 no. No, the brother's name is like... Get him, sport. Something like that. Ugh. Yeah. That, I think that is... Actually, that's a really good segue. Let's talk about Kat and Bianca's father. <gasps> Let us. Who uh, he's, he's played by uh, Larry Miller, who, uh, uh, if you've followed along, you know he was the shopkeeper in... Pretty, pretty woman. woman. One um, woman. One pretty woman, Ellis. We went through this in our Pretty Woman episode as well. Singular. Pretty woman. Yes. Correct. Woman. 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 Um, he plays their very overprotective father. Their mother walked out on them at some point, so he's raising them on his own. Mm. He, uh, I think he's a OBGYN. I think so, um, yeah. He helps a lot of people give birth. Uh, as as a doctor, yes, as... he was up to his elbow in placenta. <laughs> like, what a great line! It's a great line, but he comes across as very 
controlling and mm. domineering, and he's the one that kind of sets the plot in motion because he has the rule that Bianca isn't allowed to date anybody until Cat dates anybody. Yes. And because he's like, oh, Cat's so antisocial and hates everybody, there's no way anyone would she'd want to date yeah. anyone. And then so- that sets in motion the shenanigans that Joseph Gordon Levitt is like, all right. We're going to, with the help of my buddy Michael here, who is like an absolute star, I'm going to rave about how much I love that character later, but with the help of my new bud, we're going to find somebody who is willing to date Kat so that I can date Bianca. Enter Heath Ledger. Oh! Shenanigans ensue. Sh- shenanigans ensue. Shakespeare... There's a big misunderstanding. Oh. And- <laughs> it was like going really well, and then I said to Ellis, like, it's got to all blow up soon, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, there's, it's all got to go completely wrong. Crumbling down. Eventually. And, and then it did. And, oh man, this movie just makes me happy. Uh, but our issue with, uh, with the father is he is so controlling of his daughter's lives. Like, he doesn't really give them any agency. I'm going to find some choice phrases I wrote down. Yeah. I wrote down a few key quotes that I was like, oof. But the fact that he is so strict on... Keeping them from getting pregnant, I think, is the main thing. How can I sleep when my daughters are out there getting impregnated? <laughs> I believe was... Um, okay, so, uh, a choice interaction. Kat says to him, stop making decisions for me. And he says, I'm your father. That's my right. Mm. No, 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 no. He's, he's very much a kind of patriarchal head of the household type thing and one could make the argument that he's coming from a place of I am a single parent I'm worried about my daughters mm. and their future but he it goes, also, too far. It goes too far it goes too far and he doesn't realize that they are their own individuals yeah. with their own choices and their own decisions to make and I do though think that in the portrayal of this character he's he's a comedic character yeah like the stuff that he says is so ridiculous that it's funny, and because a he's a comedic character, and also b um, there are a few moments where you're like, oh, you're such a dork. Like he's sitting in front of the TV watching this commercial about um, spray on hair, and he's like looking at it with interest. Like he's not set up to be a character whose opinion you respect. Yeah, and so I think that I do think that that character is actually genuinely a critique. Of yes. the um, the things that he's saying and what he stands mm-hmm. for, this real uh, overbearing control of his daughters and their choices and their respective sexualities. Mm-hmm. I think it also does. The film does a really good job at subtly demonstrating how harmful that kind of mentality can be to uh, his daughters. Not in the, the obvious kind of you're locked in the house and you can't touch boys kind of way, um, or whoever you want to touch. Uh, but the fact that Kat makes a bunch of decisions trying to protect Bianca from Joey, mm. and Bianca points out the fact that it's like, well, you took away my ability or my agency to make a mistake mm-hmm. and to learn something and to make my own choice, Cat mm. inadvertently doing the exact same thing that their father was doing to them. Yeah. And, yeah, I think that's exactly it, like, as well as teaching your daughters that they don't have any agency, it it means that you don't get an opportunity to mess up and then learn from your mistakes. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and also, I think that the really overbearing parent, the overbearing, I'm your father, so I make your decisions and you answer to me, just sets you up to then, if you go into a um, heterosexual marriage, mm-hmm. be like, okay, well, I, I answer to the man in my life. Yeah. I, I am at his will. Uh, he controls me and my choices. <laughs> so we don't love that. No. Yeah. So moral of the story, fathers, please, no that your daughters can make their own decisions and are in control of their own Mm. lives. And if you have educated them as well-rounded people, you should be secure knowing that they will probably make a good decision. Yeah. Just, it goes back to spring awakening. Yep. Arm them with the knowledge Mm -hmm. and then they can make educated choices from there. Exactly. I don't know how we have gone this long without truly diving in to the joy that is Heath Ledger and his character in this movie. I love him dearly. Rest in peace, Heath Ledger. We miss you. He's so... Beautiful. Beautiful. But not just physically. No. He's a beautiful person with Mm -hmm. a beautiful soul. Yes. And and I I think it's... It's kind of cool that he and Kat go through very similar ways of growth mm. in that they both start out outcasts mm-hmm. who have put up this very defensive wall and who everyone around them has a very strong opinion perception of mm-hmm. can't go near them he's going to drill my French book which he does well, he, did, he did do that but that's part of his <laughs> defensive persona yeah. in, in kind of like keeping everybody away and it's only by uh, get, him and Kat getting to know each other um, albeit through the shenanigans-inspired <laughs> circumstances of him being paid to date her. Yeah. Uh, they get to know each other, and they start realizing that maybe being defensive isn't what makes me happy anymore. Mm. And, you know, they bond, and they, and they unify. And you get to see these really beautiful glimpses of the, the lovely heart that rests in Patrick. There's a moment, uh, there's the big party... And Kat has gotten way too drunk and he's trying to take care of her mm. uh, and like get her somewhere safe so that she can you know, recuperate and not letting her fall asleep because she might have a concussion. And just and... keeps catching her? Yeah. it's a- an ama- Another amazing physical visual gag. <laughs> oh, it's wonderful. Julia Stiles falling off the swing is Outstanding. brilliant. Um, but there's a moment in between all that where baby Joseph Gordon-Lovett comes mm-hmm. up and... And he's like, the, the thing's off. Bianca doesn't want me. I'm, it's done. And he gives this really quick, inspirational speech that isn't, don't take no for an answer. You pursue that mm. woman regardless of what she Which says. Which could have so easily could devolved into. He's just like, you are a good person. You have a good heart. You are twice the person that Joey is. He's a vapid idiot. And you are so much more than that. Just be yourself and show that to her. And if she likes it, she'll like it. Mm. Oh, and, and then it, he catches Julia Stiles. And then he catches Julia Stiles and takes her away. And it's this beautiful moment. And it kind of caught me off guard. Like, obviously, I'm like, oh, he can't be the hard ass that he's portraying because that's the way the movie movies work. Um, but this was a real moment of, like, sincerity. And sincerity between two men mm. about, like, a very kind of, like, emotional thing really took me by surprise and really, like, I was like, if I wasn't in love with Heath Ledger before, I was at that moment. Like, it was like, that was yeah. it. Yeah. And then, and then, he takes home drunk Julia Stiles. She tries to kiss him, and he's like, nah. 
You're drunk. I'm not going to kiss you. Yeah. Maybe. Uh, a round of applause. It's just beautiful. Yeah. Although, that being said, I'm making a big deal about this. It should be the standard. <laughs> like, that should be the expectation. Yeah, it we shouldn't. It shouldn't be an applaudable action. It really, really shouldn't. But, unfortunately, we still, in 2020, live in a society where that is less common than it should be. Yeah. Yeah. But very, very a good tool that the movie uses to showcase that he's he's actually a good person. He's a good dude. <laughs> and then, and then, um, let's talk about everything blowing up. So she discovers that Joey has been paying him to go out with her because um, he's also in on the thing that he wants to date Bianca... Um, even though that's all been facilitated by Joseph Gordon Lovett. There's so oh, many shenanigans so in this So many movie. shenanigans. It's very Shakespeare. Um, but uh, Julia Stiles finds out um, that Patrick is being paid mm-hmm. and, of course, is feels incredibly betrayed, as she has every right to, mm-hmm. um, and then um, does this moving soliloquy, if you will. No, it's not a soliloquy because she has... Um, audience members, monologue. Um, Poetry reading. Yeah. Uh, about how she is hurt by him, but also that she still has feelings for him, etc. Mm-hmm. Um, and then he gets her this Fender guitar that she had seen her like wanting because she like wants to start a badass punk girl band. Mm-hmm. I'm assuming it's a girl band. Uh, we don't see any of the band members, but I think that's a fair assumption. Yeah. Um, and then... I, I still feel a little bit dicey about this, but she like sees the guitar and it's sort of like a moment of forgiveness. But then she also was like, you know, you can't just buy me a guitar every time you screw up, which is great. It shows that she's not compromising her values mm-hmm. too much. But then Heath Ledger replies with, yeah, no, I'm aware of that, but there's also a drum kit and a bass and maybe even a tambourine. <laughs> And my heart was just like, take me, Heath, I am yours. <laughs> uh, but I do think that the nice sentiment is that he used the money that he was given from Joey to buy the guitar. So it's not mm-hmm. like he was still um, benefiting financially. Like, he was taking the money that had been received by him on in dubious, dubious circumstances, and then um, she's the beneficiary of that. So yeah. I think that that is a nice... Uh, transactional uh, moment of redemption. I, I also think it, it's it's very obvious that this is it's a very personal gift. Mm. He it, it shows that he understands her and listens to her and like wants to support her and her her dreams and her endeavors. It's it's not just a big flashy gift. For for yeah. the sake of it. It's no flowers being delivered by doves. <laughs> a la Enchanted. Yes. Exactly. Yes. Um, I do I do feel like the ending is a little rushed. Like I, I wonder if there were a couple more scenes in the script that were taken out for whatever reason. Yeah, it does kind of conclude very quickly. Yeah. Uh which you know no movie's perfect. Yeah. I expected there to be more scenes in between of both of them being sad that it had ended. I was like, where's the montage? <laughs> where's the montage with the sad music in the background? Yeah. 
but but also I I still loved it. It's it still it still works as an ending, and 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 I think I think it works because it's it's true to both of the characters. He showcases yeah. that he is a caring individual and supportive individual, and she uh, she is uncompromising in her yeah. beliefs, but still like going well. I I still like you, and I still care about you, and I. I don't want to have these walls up between us. Yeah. But, you know, make... You can't just give me a thing and you're okay. Yeah. You have to make changes. Yeah. Stop getting paid to date me, that kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's... I think that one of my favourite things about this movie is the fact that most of the characters are quite multidimensional. Mm-hmm. Um most of the characters, most of the core cast are very multidimensional and you see their flaws alongside their redeeming qualities. Mm-hmm. I really like that about it. Um, something that I that kind of j- uh, jarred me a little bit is the fact that Julia Stiles is kind of um, is angry at Heath Ledger. I know that they have character names, but <laughs> yeah, that went out the window a while ago. Yeah. Um, after he doesn't kiss her even though uh from a feminist standpoint that was the right thing to do on his part Mm -hmm. um but then you sit back and you're like she's a teenager she's embarrassed like she put herself out yeah she put herself out there and she went for someone and it wasn't reciprocated like Mm -hmm. of course that's gonna sting regardless of whether what they were doing was actually the right call Mm. um so like you you see that even though she's got these really strong morals she still is Flawed, yeah. Um, but also, she's got she's very endearing. I think. Oh, very endearing. Like I love Cat as a character. Mm. Uh, I love Patrick. I love like all of the all of the characters are really lovely. Like like you were saying, Michael. Oh, Michael, who is like the nerdy best friend to Baby Joseph Gordon Lovett, <laughs> and he could have so easily been just this annoying kind of nerdy constantly horny why would nobody sleep with me that guy yeah but he's very charming and he's very funny and when he is pursuing or courting uh, <laughs> very shakespearean uh, a lovely a lovely woman he he isn't just like hitting on them for a quick fling and then moving on it's it seems like he really cares about um julia styles best friend who rocks up like halfway through the movie yeah and, and it's a bit of a random addition but like i like she, her she yeah she's cool she's very very charming uh she uh she likes shakespeare that's her thing and so very meta michael um starts to woo her by like learning more about shakespeare and engaging with her interests and he invites her to the prom by giving her a uh a, like an old-fashioned shakespearean dress and he rocks up dressed the way that Shakespeare would have. And it's really wholesome and lovely. It's very wholesome. Also, the dad has redeeming qualities. Yeah. Like, by the end of it, he's like, I know that I was really um, resistant to you going to college in another state, but, like, I've already paid the first installment, so you're going. Um, Like, you you can see, even, even though all of the stuff that he's done up to this point has been really problematic... You can see what's underpinning that. The mm-hmm. fact that, you know, this burden of single fatherhood, etc. Um, I think that Joseph, Joseph Gordon Lovett's character, whose name Cameron. is Cameron. I was going to say that. Um, 
I think that he has a couple of dicey moments in that it seems like he was really, he felt quite entitled to Bianca because he's like, I learned French for you and other things, but that was the main one that stuck in my head. Um, But also he genuinely cares about her and yeah. And and let's talk about Bianca because I don't think we have. We've not. Really. Um, She starts out as quite a self-centered person. She loves her Prada backpack. She loves her Prada backpack. And the only reason that Chastity doesn't is because Chastity doesn't have a Prada backpack. Love that. <laughs> um, just, just flex your white privilege there, Bianca. Yeah. But she has a moment halfway through where she kind of realizes that, oh, I have been... She, she was manipulating Cameron to get with Joey, and she kind of has a very bad experience with Joey at the party where he's very self-absorbed and self-centered, and she's kind of like, oh, I actually don't want this. And she kind of realizes that Maybe she has been a bit self-centered and selfish. And then from that point, she starts to grow and change. Mm. And she becomes more open to the idea of getting to know Cameron, of getting to know her sister Mm. and understanding her sister. She starts kind of standing up for herself in a way that she hadn't really before. She punches Joey in the face! (gasps) Oh, it's so beautiful. I had forgotten... So much poetic justice in that I'd forgotten what how that scene went and I was ready for either Joseph Gordon-Lovett to punch Joey or uh, or Heath Ledger to punch Joey or Kat to punch Joey yeah. no it's Bianca <gasps> taking control of of herself and just being like I am not putting up with your shit anymore oh yeah Joey's trying to sleep with Bianca because he made a bet with a friend and Bianca finds this out and she's just like you know what I'm going to punch you in the face. Correct. And it's one of the most satisfying punches in cinema history. And then there's the aerial shot of, of him, him writhing on the floor. It's wonderful. Oh. It's it's very satisfying in that you've hated him all film and he actually genuinely gets his comeuppance. So yeah. That's fantastic. And the fact me. that it was Bianca to deliver that comeuppance was so wonderful and, and a really nice way to complete that, mm. that arc. And it's just... She didn't need anybody to come to her rescue. No. No. no She's taking her life did. into her own hands. Yes. Oh, it was so, so good. And I, I like that Bianca kind of, at the beginning, kind of stands for, hello, I'm here to represent the popular high school girl. I fulfill all of your beauty standards and mm-hmm. I um, fulfill appealing to the male gaze. And uh, yes, hello, I am here to represent um, everything that is... Peaking in high school. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then she kind of, she develops into so much more than that. Yeah. And that's really satisfying. It is. I think there are so many satisfying things about this film. I think that everything is kind of tied up. Like it doesn't leave you hanging on any point, but also each of the moments of things kind of coming to a nice, lovely conclusion don't feel like overly contrived no like of course they're contrived because it's a 90s rom-com but none of it is like oh yeah of course yeah and you got together because yeah yeah, of course you did 
like throughout the whole film, we see Cat and Patrick's relationship growing. We see Bianca and Cameron's relationship growing. Yeah. Uh, even we see, though they're we see the relationship between Cat and Bianca growing. Yeah. And their respective relationships with their dad. Mm-hmm. And the same with with Patrick and and Cam and Michael. Michael. Mike and even even the side characters of Michael and the Shakespeare girl, like Who they're. Is it? They are kind of just like, they are paired up, but their relationship is still given a little bit of time. Yeah, it's not like, oh, yeah, we've got these two characters left over. Let's just chuck them together. Exactly. It actually genuinely feels like there's some thought that's gone into yeah. that. It's not like, oh, we've got some loose ends that we've got to tie up conveniently. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, I mean, that's probably what, well, actually, no, it's probably just in the original text. Yeah, because, I mean, Shakespeare, everybody ends up with everybody. Of course. That's just the way it works. Of course. It's a comedy. Good on you, Shakespeare. Very Thanks. satisfying. If if Shakespeare has contributed nothing else to culture, he gave us the basis for Ten Things I Hate About You. I think you'd have you'd be very hard pressed to suggest that that's all that, that Shakespeare has contributed to Maybe. culture, Ellis. Maybe. Hot take. Maybe. Mim. Yes, Ellis. Does Ten Things I Hate About You pass the Bechdel test? I was thinking about this. I reckon it does. Yep. Uh, first thing that comes to mind is the scene between Bianca and Cat where they're talking about their mum's pearls. Yep. Um, the scene between Bianca and Chastity where they're talking about the Prada backpack. <laughs> like, technically. Technically. <laughs> that doesn't have to be a feminist conversation to pass the Bechdel test. But also, if you're a feminist and you like your Prada backpack, like... Go for it. Go for it. Like what you like. Mm-hmm. We, we also... There's a conversation between Alice and Janie and Kat about Kat's kind of misbehavior. Being called a heinous bitch. Yes. Yeah. That, that scene. And also her giving suggestions for the... <laughs> the, the erotic novel. Oh, iconic! <laughs> so, so the, there's quite quite a few. Yeah, um, it does. Ellis, do we rate or ruin Ten Things I Hate About You as a feminist work? Yeah, I rate it. Me too. I rate it. I think it's it's really it like kind of your main character is a hardcore feminist who doesn't compromise on compromise that. her ideals. I think hot take. If this wasn't written by two women who I'm going to um, guess are pretty phenomenal because they wrote both this and Legally Blonde. <laughs> Thank you for bringing them into my lives. Um, if the, I think that if it weren't written by two women, it might have fallen into the trap of, oh, I'll give up being a feminist and a hard, hardcore, raging, strong-willed bitch for this man I just who's need to come smile to change more. me. And I like that that doesn't happen. Yeah. It, it could have very easily been a Grease-style ending. Mm. And it was not. <sighs> uh, so that's how I read it from a, a feminist perspective. From, but also from a good movie perspective? It's phenomenal. The interesting thing is, like, I've definitely seen this movie before, but I couldn't remember whether A it had good gender politics or B if I even liked it. Mm. And we watched it yesterday and I was so blown away by how much I liked it from both of those standpoints. Like, we had a great time watching it. It's so funny. It's really heartfelt. It's so well acted. It's really well shot. I think this was the director's first film as well, which I was taken aback by. It was quite well directed. Um, And and that has, like, one of the best credit songs ever with I Want You to Want Me in that huge crane shot where they're performing on top of the school. I was just like, like... This movie is iconic for a reason. Yeah. I do think it could do better with regards to the representation of um, black people and people of colour. Yeah. I think it falls short in that regard. There, there's no uh, 
queer representation. No. Uh, but they do make reference to... They, they hypothesize that perhaps Kat isn't straight. Yeah. And what's the phrase that they use? She's um, Bianca says, oh, I found a photo of Jared Leto in her drawer once, so she's not same-sex attracted. Which felt like a somewhat respectful way to yeah. say that. They could have easily thrown around a slur. Yeah. There, there are a couple of slurs that are thrown around in a 90s. That was the way, like the, the ableist... R word slur Ugh. is used a couple Ugh. of times. Yucky. Um, don't use that word, pals. Don't. Uh, but in the 90s, apparently that was okay. Yeah. Um, um, but going back to the Jared Leto same-sex attracted thing, you can be attracted, like, as a woman, you can be attracted to men and still be same-sex attracted. Yes. But it, Sexuality is not binary. Yeah. It was a very... It's it not contribute to bi erasure. <laughs> exactly. Um, more, more bi representation, please. Please. Um, please. But... This film is really good. If you haven't seen it, go watch it. If you have seen it, watch it again. Go watch it again. It's it's real good. Ellis, if our pals want to get in touch with us to tell us how much they also loved 10 Things I Hate About You and its gender politics, or if they want to disagree with us, feel free oh, to please. disagree. These are only our opinions. Uh, how can they do so? Well, first they can organize for the school marching band to perform <laughs> Can't Take My Eyes Off of You in the football field. Yeah. Or and and then sing their opinions and then sing their opinions from the to stands. Us. I disagree with you, but I respect your right to have opinions that don't align with mine. That was outstanding. <laughs> I am genuinely impressed with that you came up with that parody on the spot. Why don't I do more improv? I don't know, Alice. You should. You're a great lyricist. Uh, please uh, find us on Facebook. Please we do. are Feminism Ruins Everything. Dash, it's a feminist podcast. It is a feminist podcast. Uh, or you can find us on Instagram at Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. Or you could support us on Patreon and hear all of the bloopers that we cut out of this episode. <laughs> yes. See our cover art a bit early. Find us on patreon.com forward slash Feminism Ruins Everything Pod. Get in touch, pals. Yeah. Tell us what other, what other movies, musicals, pop culture phenomena you would like to hear us cover. We just, we just, we really value your input. At this point, I really want to like cut to the cover of I Want You to Want Me that plays in the film and that be our credits music, but we don't have the rights to that. We so. don't. Oh, maybe if it was like a short enough clip. Oh, maybe. I don't know. I'll check with Acro. <laughs> anyway, thanks for listening, everybody. Thanks, pal. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Feminism ruins Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale, starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Spring, is that you? Warmer temps mean new Albert styles. Meet the Superlight Collection, the lightest ever shoes from Allbirds, now in fresh colors. These must-have travel shoes have a lighter-than-air feel and barely their fit that made them the most packable shoes ever. That means more comfort and less baggage. Try the Superlight Tree Runner with a cushy foam midsole and breathable eucalyptus fiber upper. Plus, they're comfy right out of the box. So, what can you do in a Superlight shoe? What can't you do is the better question. And because they're super packable, 
The real question is, where are you taking them? Experience how Allbirds redefines comfort. Visit Allbirds.com and use code SUPER24 for a free pair of socks with a purchase of $48 or more. That's A-L-L-B-I-R-D-S dot com code SUPER24.